A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello to every single good human out there and welcome to guest episode number 72 of Good Humans Podcast. Today's an episode that I think you're going to really enjoy. It's all around a new technique that I've discovered from an incredible lady by the name of Elle McBride. She does a trauma um, therapy called Havening, and I got to experience it recently, and I bloody loved it. But first, I thought I'd better kick the episode off by telling you about today's sponsor, which is, once again, a rapper. Drink a rapper is a brain performance drink, all based around neuroscience. They spend millions of dollars on clinical studies to prove that their product works. It's got three very key ingredients, a New Zealand neuroberry, which is just incredible for brain clarity and just calming our brain down also l-theanine which is an extract from green tea which once again brings us karma but also maintains a lot of focus and then also enzoginol which is found in pine bark extract which basically just makes your brain perform at a higher level like i said this is all backed by neuroscience it's a product that i use every single day and i highly highly encourage you to check it out you can go to the um Website, drinkarepper.com. Use the code GOODHUMAN. You get a huge 25% off. Um, yeah, just start being curious. What are different things that I can do to improve my brain? And this is a great product that I highly encourage you to check out. It is also something that Elle, who is the guest in this podcast, says she uses quite frequently at her retreats that she runs. So it's nice to know that people who do have a lot of education and curiosity around improving brain performance, um, yeah, are already using this product. So yeah, today's episode, Elle McBride, Elle reached out to me or her PR person reached out to me telling me all about this technique, Havening, saying that Justin Bieber and Hayley Bieber have been doing it with some great success and it, yeah, is a really cool way to overcome trauma and yeah, just get the best out of ourselves. I was invited to go and have a go at this um, technique and I loved it. The way that I described it, and we do talk about it quite a lot in this episode, is it's almost like a cross between a meditation, a massage, and then a psychology session. Um, that's probably the best way I can describe it. But yeah, this podcast is all about Elle's story, the journey she's been on, underst- um, understanding the traumas that she's gone through, which led her to yeah finding this technique of havening, now being one of the first practitioners in Australia to teach it. Um, and yeah, it, it was really, really cool experience getting to do it myself. But I think this episode will maybe give you a bit of an understanding on just opening your mind to new ways to think about different techniques that we can do to improve our life, whether it be from unlocking trauma to increasing performance. Uh, We do also do a little five to 10 minute havening technique later in this podcast. So if you do have, um, if you're driving while you're listening to this, you can fast forward through it. Maybe just listen to it to hear what we do. But if you're sitting quiet and you have a place right now to chill and listen to this episode, please lean into the experience. It's brilliant and I, I guarantee you're going to love it also i do have to mention there is mention of um suicide in this podcast uh if you are struggling please call lifeline on 13 11 14 um yeah if today's not the time for you to listen to this maybe give yourself some time and come back when you are but let's get into the episode i loved every moment of it and i'm sure you will too welcome to good humans podcast Hi. Elle mcbride how you doing i'm so good thanks for having me Cooper. thanks for jumping on yeah, yeah. it's um We've been in touch the last couple of weeks, 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 yeah. look at me start already. Um, we've been in touch the last couple of weeks because your PR person reached yeah. out to me and told me about this amazing thing called Havening, which is a trauma, um, trauma, trauma informed therapy, trauma yeah. therapy. Yeah. And was like, Elle would love to maybe jump on your mm. podcast and share what she does. And I was like, maybe first I could do it and get an mm. idea of what the experience is like. And 
yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago now and it was amazing. It was something very unique to me and I'm very excited to let the listeners of Good Humans hear all about it. So, yeah. well, I think Justin Bieber doing Havening also may have had a part of twisting your arm. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh, I mean, when you hear like people with huge profiles doing these, yeah. I wouldn't call it left field techniques, just mm-hmm. like sort of new techniques for things to do in that medical holistic industry. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm always super open-minded to it and I know my listeners are too. Mm-hmm. So today's going to be an epic episode, but what we do to start this episode, because I thought this is a great episode to have a rapper, my awesome sponsors, um, sponsor a guest episode because Havening's all about neuroscience yeah. and understanding. You said you have tried yeah. a rapper before, but. Yeah, I have retreats. Oh, there we go. Right. My light's falling down. That's all good. I run retreats and they're literally the only thing that get me through. Oh, okay, yeah, good. But I'm well, not going to be able to open it. Anyway, oh, here, I'll swap that. <laughs> you can have mine. Cheers. And I'll have yours. So we open these um, with an arepa cheers. So yeah. cheers. Cheers. Let's get into it. Let's hey? get this brain fired up for today's episode. Mm. But yeah, arepa, obviously, you know what it is neuroscience dream. Yeah. What do you like about it if you've taken it for a while? What have you experienced? I always find that, well, the taste is like the first thing that just grabs me and it's really light. I think for it, it's um, super easy just to like smash down like and, mm-hmm. yeah, get into things. It kind of sets a tone because it doesn't taste like really anything else that I've had before. Like there's it's not another strong, drink. like the black currant. Yeah. I get some people go, like, I need to mix it with water, but then some yeah. people like you love it. So yeah. I, I personally love it. I've also had it as like a mocktail with sparkling water Ooh. and it's a good time. Yeah, because yeah. there's the other version. There's the sparkling and the performance version. If you haven't tried the sparkling, I'll give you a case later. Yeah. I've got some here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, thanks to a rapper for sponsoring Well, I already knew that there was there was magic with the sparkling water. I know. So, it's yeah. delicious. It's so good. But like you said, it's, it's such a good thing to get you through the day rather than stacking coffee on coffee, which yeah. so many people do nowadays. I'm currently five months caffeine-free and I love it. Wow. I'm yeah. six months alcohol-free. Yeah, yeah. Cutting things out, it's crazy the impact it can have. It really is. I was finding for a long time that coffee was using me I wasn't using the coffee so I was having it because I was like oh I need to or I want to I've definitely gone through stout like stages of like being um booze free as well and it's so good it's so good isn't it well today's all about your story getting to know it a bit more the first thing I am going to ask is what are you grateful for right now Uh, what am I grateful for I think I've just come out of a retreat I run retreats within the Enlighten Co which is one of my businesses and coming back home to my beautiful one and a half year old puppy is just like that sense that somebody can love me that much it just I've been sitting it I got home like three days ago but that love I've just been like bursting in it so yeah I'm really grateful for really grateful for him we're out out we're in that like teenage phase now so we're not really a puppy and so yeah it's really good how fun is that yeah yeah good the unconditional love today's all about your story so we're gonna rewind back to the start where were you born where'd you grow up what was life like as a kid for you from what you can remember yeah so my story kind of starts before I was born so um a year prior to my birth my parents had given birth to a a beautiful baby boy named Josh and he was born unknowingly with a lung condition and passed away the day after he was born and so then if you're good at maths that was the 6th of August 1988 and then the 31st of July 1989 I arrive healthy happy but kind of with this sense and I didn't know it for a really long time that I had this feeling like it shouldn't have been me, that I shouldn't have been here, that there was a a sense of like guilt that my brother had died and then I came and I got to live. And so navigating that was, you know, a a really big part of my journey that it took me a really long time to even realise that that's how I was feeling. My parents by no means made me feel that it shouldn't have been me, but we'd always had these conversations. You know, I would have a birthday and then six days later it would be, oh, Josh would have been this old or I wonder what he'd be like or I wonder what he'd he'd do. And that kind of questioning whenever, like, I would get into trouble, I'd think, oh, if Josh was here, he wouldn't have done that or he would have done this. And it took me a really long time to, to learn that it was meant to be me. But in learning that, it meant, you know, I went through um, doubts of depression as a teenager. And I remember sitting in the doctor's uh, office when I was taken in, like, by my parents because they didn't really, no one knew what was wrong with me. I just wasn't happy. 
And so went into the doctors and, you know, we're talking, this is a long time ago now. It's not like now we're on social media. We talk about depression. We talk about anxiety. We talk about mental health conditions. And I grew up in a small town, Batemans Bay, down on the south coast. So it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody's stuff. And for myself sitting in this doctor's surgery, I remember him drawing little pictures and him saying, you know, this is a normal person's brain with the normal chemicals that they have, but your brain isn't making those chemicals. So you're going to take this tablet and you'll start to feel better. And I remember just being like, what? Like if you're telling me my brain's not normal, again, feeding into that I'm different. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm. And so for myself, I just remember being like, no, no other alternative, no other alternative. Just <laughs> not take even it, go take... see a psychologist first and talk. It was nah. great to, yeah. I'd done a little bit of counseling, um, like, and like through the school counseling system and, and things like that. But it just, you know, you sit in a counselor's office and you're a teenager and my parents had gone through a divorce and I had been, like I was relatively a good kid at school, but, you know, I I kind of did have this sense of like I'd get into trouble for things that I shouldn't have really been involved in. And so for myself, I'd sit in these counsellor's offices and I, I wouldn't talk about what was troubling me. Mm. And I also didn't know what was troubling me because at that stage, you know, I just, I had a happy life. I had great parents that loved me. I then had bonus parents who adored me. And so for myself, it was like, you know, that part of you that goes, I've got nothing that I should be, should be worried about. Why am I worried about it? Mm. But I couldn't put the pieces together. I was a teenager and really I was a kid. And so for myself, I took the one round of, you know, the, the prescription of the, the medication and just thought there has to be another way. Like there, there just has to be another way. And so I was off the meds. I, I had stepped away completely from that. And found other ways to kind of self-medicate, you know, whether it was, you know, drinking at such a young age, partying. I moved out of home when I was 18 and moved to the Gold Coast. And from Batemans Bay, that's really far away. Mm. It's not like you can just duck into your parents for a home-cooked meal. Like I was out doing my thing and I lived with one of my best mates at the time and um, we'd moved together and, you know, we, we loved to party, we loved to go out, we loved to, you know, have a good time. We was, when I look back, I think, oh, my gosh, I was so young. Mm. Like just the damage that we were doing to our minds and our bodies and, yeah, just, just wild, although it was lots of fun looking back as well. Um, but then when I was 19, my best friend, um, the planet got a bit too hard for her. And this wasn't the one I was living with. She was back home in Batemans Bay and she was planning to come and live with us, but life got too hard and, and she decided to take her own life. And wow. that was a really hard time for me because I'd kind of had these, you know, these thoughts. I'd, I'd been quite depressed. There had been suicidal thoughts as a teenager. And so losing Danny, it was like, it became like, well, it's not an option for me now. Like I have to live. Like I can't just exit when I want to now because I can't bring that pain to other people. It's, it's, I have to live. And so that was 19. I then started to climb the corporate ladder. I found a lot of validation within like working so hard and working long hours and being the best that I could be. It was, you know, that sense of reward that you get from accomplishing things And then I moved to Melbourne and I'd lived in like by this stage of 22, I'd lived in um, Batemans Bay, moved to Townsville, moved to the Gold Coast, moved to Canberra, kind of things would get a little too hard and I'd like chase the next thing. Can I rewind a little bit? Yeah. How'd you find high school? What was your high school experience like? What were your sort of dreams and ambitions leaving school career-wise while obviously dealing with some mental health issues? some trauma that you probably still weren't aware of. Um, yeah, what was high school like for you as an experience as a whole and what were yeah. Yeah, the direction you were thinking you were heading after? Yeah. Well, in a small town, you kind of go into high school like following like all of the kids that you went to primary school with. Um, it's kind of that trajectory that that happens. But for myself, I chose to go to the Catholic school with only seven other students. So I get to my high school and I, it's so unfamiliar for me. And it was really just like a, a start in fresh, which in many cases is a wonderful thing. But I, um, high school for me, I was the girl that was like friends with everybody. 
I didn't have a lot of like super close friends. I just was everywhere with everyone, a bit of a people pleaser, Mm. fit in with the crowd. Um, And, you know, I had, school was tough. Like I, I think I was a good student, but I look back and I think, you know, I did try to like cause a muck every now and then, but I was seeking that attention. I was seeking the validation. My parents had divorced when I was in year six. So kind of that transition then into high school. Um, I started working when I was really young. I, as soon as I could get a job, I got a job at McDonald's and I became like the poster kid for Maccas. Like I was, you know, when your parents would say like, go and get a job at McDonald's, it would give you really great skills. <laughs> that was me. Like I ticked every box. I did every role I really tried to like make something out of that and so I ended up leaving school in year 10 and to work um, at Macca's Macca's. yeah yeah and I yeah literally like I didn't know what I wanted to to do high school I think there was just that aspect of like when you don't fit in anywhere you try to fit in everywhere Mm. And so, you know, I never like kind of excelled at, at one thing. It would be like I do, you know, music quite well, but maths quite well and English quite well. There was never um, a space where I exceeded. And my brother was, you know, very academic. He did like unit four math. He was so smart. And so this is my eldest brother. And so for myself, it was like I just there was always this this gap that I couldn't get to. And so what's the point? Mm. Like, well, I'm not going to be that good at math, so what's the point? I just won't try. And there was a lot of that in my life. So I did. I, I left um, school to go and work at McDonald's. Wow. And I just think, wow, like, and, you know, the, the, there were so many rewards in that. I I ended up doing, a, like, a diploma in um, management and, and many different courses that are, like, university-recognised. But for myself, it, yeah, school was tough. Huh. School was uh, tough. It's, it's nice that you had the awareness to make that decision to leave because it wasn't for you in year 10 and go yeah. and start making money, start doing d- diplomas and stuff because there's so many people who finish year 11 and 12 that don't really use that anyway. So yeah. all the props to you, I think that's yeah. great. So you finish school, you stay in Batemans Bay for a little while at McDonald's and then at 18 yeah. move up to the Gold Coast and... Where were you working when you said you sort of started climbing up the corporate ladder? What was that next chapter? Yeah, so I um, I had done like a very small stint. So I'd left Macca's and I went and I remember I took the summer off and I got a job at our local ice creamery. And if you're from the Bay, you know the ice creamery. <laughs> and I had so much fun working there. Like all my mates would come in. I'd like, you know, give them like triple scoop ice creams. <laughs> and it was just this like really fun time. And like looking back because my best friend passed away, you know, a year and a half after that, it was this time of like, when I look back, it was like the best time of my life working Mm. at this ice creamery, like having not a lot of responsibility because I had, I, at at McDonald's, I, I was like this 17 year old kid with a huge responsibility. It's, it's, it's looking back, I think, wow. And so for myself, I I did, I moved to the Gold Coast and I stumbled into like a few different jobs, just retail. And then I started working for a company called Ali Fashions. It's still around. And um, with them, I ended up moving to, and like the thing was, was like I was working for them and I wanted that next level. I wanted to go from like casual to full-time to assistant manager to manager and there were no positions available on the Gold Coast. So I saw an ad like come up in the email saying looking for positions in Townsville and I remember calling my manager and being like, can I go? Like wow. so at night at 19 I moved to Townsville for eight months, didn't know anybody and um, yeah, ended up opening up a few stores there and moved back to the Gold Coast. I think I opened up four stores and then did a stint in Canberra. And while I was in Canberra, my best mate, um, who I was still living with, we'd moved from from the Gold Coast, she visited her sister down in Melbourne and she loved it. She was like, I love Melbourne. I think I want to move. And so I was like, well, I'll come with you. I admire people who can yeah. just like move around that much. Yeah. I, it gives me so much anxiety having to pack <laughs> up my life and move anywhere. I'm like, I'm well, the anxiety for me was staying still. Yeah, it's security for some people is yeah kind of what we seek, and some yeah are scared by it. Yeah. When did 
because I want to get into the havening stuff. Mm-hmm. What was that next stage? How did you find havening? And then yeah. I'm guessing there was an experience where you unlocked this trauma. When did you find yeah. out that that trauma with your brother was something that was maybe holding you back and something was that through havening? Yeah. So for myself, I was living in Melbourne working again for, for Ali. I had a team of 120 women. I had nine stores across the state and I was headed straight to burnout. And I was looking at my senior management being like, I don't want that for myself. So how do I get out of this situation? How old were you here? 23. Okay. And so I, I, again, I'm like, I don't want this. I don't want this this life. Where can I run to? And so I go home that day. I'm still living with my best mate. We lived together for like nine years. And um, I'm like, I think I want to go overseas. And she was like, cool, I'll come. So um, six weeks later, we basically boarded a plane and we went to Hawaii. It was our first stop. And um, while we're in Hawaii, actually, um, we hired this big motorbike. Evelyn rides rides bikes. And so we got on this big motorbike and take it around the the island. And um, we pull into Waimea Bay. For the surfers, you know, you you'll know it, and yeah, (laughs) and so we get there, and you know, we're two Aussies. We grew up in the bay. We we know how to like swim in the ocean. So we dump our stuff. We're like four days into our international trip. Um, We dump our stuff. We've got our passports on us because you know that's what you do when you're on your first trip overseas. And we leave everything on the beach and we're like, okay, the waves are pretty big. How about we like go in from the side and and sneak around the back and. So we do. And um, Waimea Bay, yeah, they got pretty big. And we were we were out the back and this old guy kind of pulls us aside. He's like, girls, what are you doing? And we're like, just having a swim. And um, he's like, have you got flippers on? We're like, no. And you can tell we didn't have a board. And he's like, you need to swim out to sea. Like you need to. You on need- that shore break? The shore break's mm-hmm. gnarly at Waimea. Yep. And so our stuff's on the on the beach, our passports, everything. And Ev start Ev's a bit of a stronger swimmer than me. She starts swimming in. I have no idea what to do. I kind of just go into a complete shock. I end up in a complete um, tumble. I'm up for a gasp of air and then back into the the ocean, just being just smashed. Yeah, smashed. Yeah, yeah, complete washing machine. <clears throat> and um it lasts a while and I can't get air and I'm I'm thinking this is it, I'm done for. And so there's something that kind of happens when you get to that, that moment of vulnerability within your life where you think this is it. And so I remember having like the, just this sensation of like, you know, praying for my family, for just being like, tell my mom I love her, like, mm. you know, that I'm, I'm sorry for, you know, everything that I've ever caused anybody. And you just, life just runs so quickly before your eyes. And um, I see the pearly gates, like literally they're there and I am I can see myself headed towards it and, and towards this bright light and it happens. I'm about to step in and my arm gets pulled out of the ocean and I get brought back to life essentially. And Did you get resuscitated? Were you unconscious? Yeah, I was unconscious. I, I was brought back. Um, it didn't take long and I just was, it was a full out-of-body experience. And um, it was in that moment of, you know, basically about to, to die, about to, to step into the light that it hit me that it was meant to be me. And so it was that moment of of trauma of this living this life of it's not meant to be me. I'm not worthy of having these 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 experiences. I'm not good enough. Where it was you are good enough, and it was always meant to be you. And like you've got another shot now. Like you have another opportunity. But didn't that just start open up a can of worms for me, right? Because it was like, well, I'm, I'm meant to be here now. I'm meant to do something. I'm meant to achieve something. And so a lot of the harder days came after that. I, I ended up in going around um, the U.S. I spent three months in the U.S. and um, had an experience in Vegas that kind of started to create a bit of uh, PTSD flashbacks and created a lot of complex trauma. 
I ended up, yeah, going across 18 different cities in the US and then living in the UK. Were you working in the US? No, just no, just pure traveling, yeah. yeah. Um, and then ended up in the UK, did a little bit of work, had to fill up the the bank account, the bank account. yeah. As a Aussie, worked in a pub with my best mate again. We, we, we'd stuck together since we were 17 and we still are. She's still my person and... Yeah, we have a beautiful bond and, yeah, for for myself, I, yeah, it was a really hard time in my life. Like it was this this knowing, okay, I, I'm meant to be here and I've got this second chance but I don't know what to do with it and there was just so much second guessing, mm. so much second guessing. My mental health rapidly declined. Um, I was having flashbacks for about six years and, at that stage, I'd kind of come back home. My brother was having the first grandchild and so I was like, I just want to get home. I want like Vegemite and smashed avo. <laughs> like I just, I want to be back. And so I did. I went back to Batemans Bay and again, it just became harder. Um, and, you know, knowing what I knew and, I, you know, I, I shared about being a teenager, being diagnosed with, you know, depression and, and going on medication for that. At 19, a doctor had tried to give me a diagnosis of MS, which I just rejected in the chair at that moment. I thought, how could you put that onto without any any information, without doing tests, without knowing for certain, how could you try and give somebody a diagnosis for that? At 20, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease and put on um, different medications for that and kind of just rejected it in the chair as well, just being like, no, there's got to be a different way. Like the, these, if I didn't have it, why do I have it now? And so when I found myself in back in Batemans Bay feeling really depressed and, and sad, I just thought there's there's got to be something else. And so I started trying every different modality, every everything that I could kind of get my hands on any specialist I was driving to Sydney I was going to Melbourne I was going to Canberra and yeah seeing the best of the best to try and see what what could be done and some things worked and some things worked for a a little bit of time um yeah yeah what are some of the things you tried that kind of worked for a bit didn't really last yeah so they'd be like there'd be different ones. I tried, um, you know, the, the standard hypnosis, NLP. Um, there was timeline therapy, which I really did enjoy. Um, then I, Can you I explain this. Timeline yeah. therapy. Yeah. So for it, there's within um, the NLP world, there's. Neurolinguistic programming. Yes. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I know that one. Yeah. So for timeline, it's kind of like looking, you get put into a, a bit of a, a state and you reflect back on the timeline of your life. And it's almost like you can float up above and see everything that happens in your life and pinpoint the the things that maybe were true or maybe need to be redefined. Like, why am I looking at this thing that's happened in this light and is it true? And it starts to kind of like make you question the Mm. past. Now, keeping in mind, I was at this stage already having flashbacks and so I was really questioning my sanity. Is it true? What did it really happen? Am I am I lying to myself? You know, it it was just this mess. And I just in some ways I kind of felt like I was adding to it and then I was taking away from it, but it wasn't changing. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it was a pretty pretty tough place to be. I found myself in, you know, unpleasant relationships, in uh, work environments that weren't um, helping me. A lot of people around me were really worried. Um, but, you know, when you're worried about somebody and it was the same when, you know, my friend Danny was unwell, you're worried but you don't know what to say. Mm. And that's where I think in society, like, we just don't have this language. You know, we have the are you okay days and, you know, the the moments where, that, I, that I absolutely love that, like, we're having these conversations but we're still not really having the conversations mm. and, that's because we we don't know what to say when somebody says no I'm 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 not okay. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? That conversation that follows are you okay if somebody says no is so often people get stuck with not 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 knowing what to say next and as well I think people don't have the resources to point people in the right direction with somebody yeah. like you who does have the self-awareness and the open mind to go and try a bunch of things. Yeah. I feel like so many 
go, oh, I'm struggling, go see the doctor yeah. and take the answer of a doctor and go, all right, I guess I'll just take these. And yeah. that's, you know, a finish line. Yeah. Whereas obviously from what you found with Havening, myself included, obviously everyone who listens mm. to this podcast knows I have a very holistic approach through things like gratitude, yeah. mindfulness, practicing kindness um, yeah. purposefully. How did that next sort of stage come for you when you found Havening? How did you find yeah. it? And, yeah, what's well, been yeah. our next so it's it's kind of a, a funny one, but for myself, I I was like, okay, maybe I want to go back. Maybe I want to run away from here again. And where do I want to run to? I'd lived overseas. I really enjoyed living on the Gold Coast and I really loved living in Melbourne. So there were my three options. Um, but my brother and his newborn baby and wife had just moved to New Zealand. And I thought, well, you know, come on, guys, I'd just come back from overseas because you were having the baby. New Zealand wasn't really on the, car- on the cards for me. And so I was like, oh, maybe the Gold Coast, maybe Melbourne. And there's a festival called Burning Seed. Um, For those that don't know, it's like Aussie's Australian Burning Man. Mm -hmm. And so for myself, I was like, okay, maybe I'll I'll go to that. I'd been um, a year prior and I was like, I'll go to that festival and I'm going to go just by myself, be fully self-sufficient and have like a deep inward journey and just like see who I meet and just kind of hand it over and just be like, you know, God, universe, like source, like, I'd had this experience where I'd seen the the gates, like maybe I could go and, you know, get that off my head or, or drink alcohol or be given something or just have an out-of-body experience naturally and an answer will come through. And so prior to doing that, I was like, I'll go to the Gold Coast and then I'll go to Melbourne, go to the festival and miraculously somewhere I'm going to have an answer. And that was literally like the hope that I had. Like that was the desperation of, it, it, it's this or I don't know what. And how old were you here? I was 25. Such a courageous point. thing to do at 25. Yeah. Young girl, bit lost. Yeah. Just going for it and going, you know what? Open arms. Yeah. Let the universe decide. It's very courageous. Literally. And I think it's one of those things, like, when I look back, like, on my childhood you know, my mum would, would often say like, you know, we'd go out and, and look through the window and find the brightest star in the sky. And she'd be like, that's your brother. Like, you know, if you've got a problem, like put it out there. Like I kind of had always had this idea of, you know, heaven and afterlife and, and protection and angels. And, you know, it's, it, I always knew that there was something greater and like looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, it all makes sense. And so I am really grateful that I had that awareness because, you know, not many people do. I meet mm. thousands of people that are like, oh, what? Like there's, you know, it's not, this isn't just it. Mm. And so for myself, you know, that was the the level. I was just like, okay, like it's this or I don't know what it is and it needs, like it needs to be this. <laughs> My answers need to come. And so I came to the Gold Coast and I was staying with a girlfriend and, um, you know, she was a, a bit of a drinker. I was a bit of a drinker. And so we were we were having some drinks. She lived down at Kingscliff on the beach. It was beautiful. And I remember getting this email pop up on my phone. I opened it and it was uh, burning seed cancelled due to flooding. Uh. And I just fell apart. I was like, there goes all my hope. Like, what like I, I I was in this kind of state of like I don't need to make a decision like I can wait and then my decision was taken from me mm. and so that night I think we drank like three or four bottles of wine and smoked some cigarettes and yeah just ended in a in a huge pity party but the next day I made my way to the Gold Coast and I walk into a coffee shop and I'm catching up with a girlfriend that that had lived in Burley and I get introduced to a woman named Karen Hedges and there was just something about this woman. I know you, you meet people and you're just like, oh, wow, there's a click there, there's a connection mm-hmm. there. And it was like I saw this version of myself in this person that gave me a little bit of hope but I didn't know what it was. And she'd just been over in the UK and studied in this modality called Havening and I was like, I don't care what it is. Like, as long as it's not crack, like I'll give it a go. And then even then, like I might try it if that's like what <laughs> what's going on here. And so the next day we ended up having a session and, and I sat in the chair and 
she'd sent me all the information, like all the links and the science and videos to watch. And I, I remember like just watching them kind of like speeding through them, you know, hitting the next 15 second button and just being like, I don't care. Like I'll just, at this point, what did I have to lose? Mm. Like I did not know my next step. And so I sat in the chair and I remember thinking, okay, I've got an opportunity to heal here. And there was something I felt so immensely safe with this woman. And what I'd been trying to run from was the flashbacks that had come back in in Vegas. And they were it was a childhood memory that I couldn't escape. And it was following me everywhere. But I'd completely blocked it out to the point that I didn't even know if it was me, if it was, if it had happened to me, if it was true. And so I just sat down in the chair and I got three words out and they were when I was and I burst into tears. There was, I was sweaty. I was snotty and Karen took me on a havening experience and journey. And 20 minutes later, it was like the scene and the memory was no longer mine. It became like a movie. It became like a story that I could tell, but it wasn't mine anymore. And it didn't make me disassociated. I was disassociated before. I wasn't able to be me. And it was just this sense. I felt it when I was sitting in the chair, like, what? Where did it, where did it, like, huh? And this deep sense of unworthiness, not enoughness. We we worked through that. And the, the session ended up being two hours in total. But the first 20 minutes of it was truly where the, the freedom was. And so... Then I, I left the session. I went and I sat on Burley Hill as if you're in Burley, you can't not go to the hill. And so I remember sitting on the hill and being like, well, what she did wasn't really hard. Like she stroked my arms. She said a couple of different distractions. Like I can do that. Like mm. it, it was so deceptively simple. And so there'd been another memory of, you know, the, the partner at the time had said something that had really triggered me and was making me feel really unworthy. And so in my mind, I just went back to that that feeling. And I, and I did the session on myself, the, the, the stroking of the arms and the face and said the ABC and it shifted. So then I just kind of, anytime I'd think of something or this feeling would come up, I'd, I'd just start stroking my arms and saying some distractions. And for a couple of weeks, things just started changing. I started changing. And so again, I was like, well, I need to get out of this town I, I need a move. And so I moved back to the Gold Coast and caught up with, with Karen again. And she was like, the trainers are coming over from the UK for the first Aussie training and I think you should do it. And I was like, nah, like I'm, I'm not good enough. Like I need the therapy. Mm-hmm. I can't become the therapist. Um, but I ended up um, a dear friend of mine was like, I think you should really go for it and I'm going to pay for you to do it. And I was like, what? Like everything just aligned. And so I did. I became one of the first Aussie um, trained practitioners of havening techniques. And now I'm the leading practitioner here and globally, you know, I'm, I'm very well known for it. And I've helped tens of thousands of people. And yeah, I'm just so passionate about it. Yeah, it's incredible. I was lucky enough to do a session with you the other week. And it was a very um, unique experience. It's something I've been like planning and wanting to go and see a psychologist just to for one, I had the experience because obviously I promote to people to go do it, but I'm also like, I haven't actually, I've worked with a sports psychologist, but I haven't with the psychologist. And when you offered um, to see me, I was like, epic, I'm all open to it. And it was, it was nice just to like talk through certain things. But what I loved was at the end by the technique, which we'll go into in a second, at the end, I'd end up doing like, it was like a 20 or 30 minute almost like meditation where you kept telling me to wake up. I wasn't sure. If you, I wasn't asleep. But yeah. It was just like the most clear minded and like still and emptiness I've felt in so long. It was just like so refreshing like to finish the session. Um, but let's go in. I want to quickly just get to, did you from Havening, because you sound very clear from what you started your story with before, knowing that it started from before, when did you kind of work out that, was it from the experience when you had the near-death experience at Uimea, or was it once you started doing some work with somebody to understand that the trauma was because of um, the way unknowingly your parents spoke about your um, brother who passed away? Yeah. Yeah, I think for myself, um, kind of a mix of both. 
to be honest, because there was this really clear message that I received when I, you know, drowned of it, it's meant to be you. And so then it was kind of an unpacking from that. Well, if it's meant to be, why is it meant to be me? And and and, and who, who am I? Be, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, now it, it really is a fundamental part of like who I am. I'm like, yeah, like there is nobody else alive like me. There hasn't been before. There will never be again. Anybody like myself, anybody like yourself, right? And a big part of my learning has been responding to my ability to help people and responding to my ability to hold space and to have compassion for people. And when you respond to your uh, ability to help people, it then becomes your responsibility. Mm. Like you then have to, like, Life gets really uncomfortable when you don't answer like the the message from your soul to mm. go and do the thing, right? Like doing the thing isn't actually hard. It's overcoming the part of us that is the not enoughness, is the you won't succeed, is the, you know, who do you think you are? When I get that voice inside my head that's like, who do you think you are to be, you know, speaking on stage or who do you think you are to be facilitating life-changing retreats or whatever the the thing is, I answer back and I'm like, who am I not? Yeah, if not you, then who? Like who am I not to live an epic life? Like who am I not to be free from these thoughts that once kept me captive? Yeah, Yeah, and it's a a really cool place to be. But, yeah, I'm just responding to my ability to help people. Yeah, that mindset of like, if not you, then who is such a good one when you feel unworthy. It's like someone's going to get to like go and achieve what you're like fearful of yeah. having to go at. Um, well, let's go into Haven a little bit. Who mm-hmm. discovered it? I know yep. it's got a pretty cool backstory. Yeah. And then maybe explain exactly what the Havening technique is. Yeah. So Havening was created by Harvard-trained uh, medical doctor, Dr. Ronald Rudin, alongside his brother, Stephen Rudin, in the early uh, 2000s. So it's been around for about 22 years. And, you know, being medical-trained American doctors in particular, like it's the medical system especially in the U.S., is so driven by pharmaceutical. So they've been really mindful to ensure that the science is there, especially for themselves as well, like loving the the science. So it's heavily based in neuroscience. We're understanding that the amygdala, when the amygdala is under stress in a sense of there, there needs to be a couple of things for trauma to be encoded, and the first one is an event that needs to take place that event needs to hold meaning to us. And that event can, the meaning that event can have is unique to everybody, right? The meaning that I'm making this podcast is different to what this meaning is for you, but we've got an event. It's a podcast. Now, the third part is a sense of the landscape of the mind at the time. So the work that you're doing in practicing gratitude, in practicing kindness, in being a a good human, right, is making you feel more resilient in life. Right? An attitude of gratitude does truly change the way that our neurons work within our mind. It, it makes us focus on the good things and not, not the unpleasant things. And then the fourth part for trauma to be encoded is there needs to be a sense of inescapability. So we've, kind of, we've got to have something happen. We've got to make it mean something. We need to be in a bit of a vulnerable state at the time, you know, not feeling resilient, not feeling good. And then we need the sense of inescapability. This is why when the the water happened in Waimea, my best mate was okay, but I couldn't talk for three days. Mm. Yeah. This is why when people grow up in the same house, right, the same home, they have completely different experiences because it comes down to the way that our mind is at any given time. And this is really the importance of them focusing on resilience building and focusing on um, being in, in a good state for ourselves so we can go out there and be less affected by things. So... For Havening, when we knew that those four components were required, they then took the aspect of, okay, well, why does when a baby cry and you pick up that baby and you hold that baby and you stroke that baby's arm or across its face and you say, shh, it's all right, it's okay, I'm here now, or you hum a nursery rhyme and you you allow that connection between yourself and that baby, that that baby find stillness it comes back it goes oh that's okay I'm safe now so essentially with these two models combined they started to do the research of working out well what's happening in that state of stress in that state of the event 
where there's meaning, where there's vulnerability and a sense of inescapability, as well as when the baby's crying, it's a part of our mind called the amygdala that creates the fight, flight, freeze or fawn response, the mm-hmm. get me out of here, I don't like this, the palms are sweaty, the the, the knees feel still, you know, we, we, we want to freeze, we want to run, we want to scream, we want to kick. And so when the amygdala creates this fight response, we know that the touch creates the chemicals to release that and it releases it permanently. So in a session of havening, what we're doing essentially is we're creating that that response, that stress response. We want the amygdala to send off amper receptors. It's what what they're called. And I like to think of it like a dandelion. A lot of people think about it like an alarm system, right? It's sending off alarms, but I find that quite aggressive. So I like to think about it as a, a dandelion, right? This beautiful weed that grows and it's growing within our mind. And so when the amygdala sends off this fight or flight freeze response in a session, we're then using the touches of the, the arms, the face and the hands to permanently change the way that that response happens. So the dandelion can be there, but we've, we've blown away all of the responses. The alarm can still be there, but it's no longer alarming. And so the memories there, but it no longer has a hold over us and no longer has a, uh, feelings, emotions um, attached to it. You know, I often have clients say it's like it's a movie. It's like it's a book. It's it's no longer detached mine. From it. I'm detached from it. Mm. Like, yeah, I can I can go back into it, but I'm going to choose not to because I don't have to anymore. Mm. I don't have to relive that memory anymore. I don't have to sit in the pain of my failed relationship. I don't have to sit in the pain of, you know, not excelling at university or whatever it might be, whatever the story is. I think the biggest thing affecting the happiness in humanity is that we have forgotten that we're enough mm. and we're born onto this planet as a beautiful, lovable baby. Like my my dog, Jaira, like he's a chihuahua and he's so cute, but he knows just how cute he is. Like he is never going to question how lovable he is. Mm. Like, and this is the thing that we all have that innate belief about ourselves. We've just forgotten. Mm. We've had it like beaten out of us. We've had it, you know, and that's through thought. It's through relationships. It's through our schooling system. Like we may have grown up with great parents, but what was school like? Yeah. You know, there's there's all of these influences that we have on us that that really do create this belief of I'm not enough. Yeah, it's wild how common that is and how little people have to overcome that the lack of self-awareness that we're Mm. kind of pushed towards as children i think is like crazy like nowadays i guarantee anyone listening right now the most common thing that every single one of us do when we have five minutes to ourselves is pull our phone out of our pocket distract ourselves. whereas actually going all right what's something that's gonna make me feel a bit better for Mm. today is something like doing the self-havening so maybe to get towards the end of this mm. I was whether you want to try and do like a little few minutes yeah on me, for sure. yeah. or it's probably best maybe to do directly to yeah maybe to the audience how yeah. if you like because okay. havening something obviously it's great to come and see a practitioner mm. like yourself yeah um but it is also a technique that you can take home with yourself mm. and continue to do with yourself tied in with your meditation yeah with just some moments of stillness so yeah, yeah do you want to maybe yeah, for sure. And that's the thing because it's so, it's, it, it truly is so simple. Yeah, if you want to guide us through like a five to ten minute yeah, thing. Yeah, sounds we'll, good. Um, do a few last little questions after. Sounds good. So what I'm going to have everybody doing is make sure that you're in a comfortable position. Yeah, if you're, you're driving, not... <laughs> you're going to have to pause and um, come, come back, back to this. this. Yeah. And this is then something that you can come back at a later time. I do have like an online portal with, with videos and things that you can watch. But come back to this podcast. Yeah. I highly recommend come back time time stamp this right so i want you to just sit in a comfortable position and in a moment um you will be be sitting up in a chair or on on a mat or wherever feels good for you and we are going to be using three main touches so the three strokes of havening are from the shoulders down to the elbows and it's kind of like one stroke per second that we're going to be doing and then we have up over the face so i like to kind of go from like the center of the face and then down our cheeks 
And then the third one is our hands. So you can really do whatever feels best or most comfortable for you. Even if you can only get one arm of havening, that's fine. Um, but throughout this, you're going to be havening and I'll guide you through the whole thing. Cooper, you're going to be my demo. So it's going to be wonderful. So what I'm going to have you do is just sit, sitting again comfortably, just taking a nice deep breath in and let it go. And just in your mind, reflecting on a memory maybe from the past that feels a bit unpleasant when you think about it. Maybe it's something that's happened today or in the last few days. Or if you're struggling to connect with a memory, inviting you to reflect upon a feeling or an emotion. Maybe there's a physical sensation in the body. But just for 10 more seconds, allowing yourself to reflect on a memory or a feeling and allowing any discomfort, unpleasant emotions to arise. Wonderful. Now just start havening as you bring your arms up to your shoulders and just gently stroking down. Wonderful. And now out aloud... Counting to ten with me. One, two, two three, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight, nine and ten. ten. Wonderful. And now keeping our eyes closed and our face still, but with our eyes looking to the left and looking to the right, looking to the left and looking to the right and to the left and to the right, relaxing your eyes and continue that havening if you'd like to move to your face or your hands or just staying with your arms, wherever feels good for you, but feeling that loving connection as together we say the alphabet out aloud. A, A B, B, C, D, D e, e, F, G, G H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Wonderful. All right. And now just counting backwards from 10 to 0. 10, 10 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Wonderful. Now just placing your hands in your lap and just inviting in your mind to reflect upon where you were a few minutes ago whether it was an event or a feeling or an emotion. We will do another round here, so just checking in with how it feels. Allow for any unpleasant sensations, thoughts, feelings as you reflect. any stresses. Take a nice deep breath in and let it go. And bring your hands to your shoulders. Gently start to haven again. Wonderful. Doing so well. Together let's count to 20. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And backwards from 20. 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Wonderful. All right. Just feeling that loving connection, that havening touch, and keeping your face still and your eyes closed with your eyes looking to the left, and to the right, looking to the left, and to the right, to the left, and to the right. Taking in a nice deep breath in, relaxing your eyes, and letting it go. And just repeating after me, all is well. 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 I'm safe, peaceful, calm, and connected. 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 All is well. All is well. All is well. All is well. And placing your hands in your lap. 
for the purpose of this recording, just checking back in. If you'd like to do another round, just rewinding it and listening again. I sort of slowly forgot I was doing a podcast and I was like at the end of the last bit I was like oh crap I'm about to open my eyes and still doing a podcast still oh, here. it's just such a it's like I just feel it's such a great add-on to meditation it kind of because I feel like a lot of people complain that meditation is too still and too yep. static I think it's a great technique just to add to well, we're getting into thoughts. the delta wave. So yeah. one thing I didn't mention before, guys, is so much science on it and it's kind of it's it's com- complex but it's simple. And so like if you want the science, check out my website. But for it, show notes. Yeah, where we're accessing delta, which is our slowest brainwave that we have. So we're actually technically going deeper than we are in any form of meditation or hypnosis. But we're still consciously alert. You can come back into this room. You don't need to be pulled out of it like you do with hypnosis, right? You're here, you're present. I find I work with people all over the world and so like the doorbell rings or the dog barks and it just adds to the distraction, which uh-huh. is fine. But, yeah, we've got an influx of delta waves. It's so good. Yeah, I love it. It's, um, yeah. That's the first time I've done like a 10-minute technique mid-podcast. <laughs> <It's> also, <laughs> hopefully everyone listening um, who had the time to find some quiet space for mm. that took something out of it. And if you're driving, make sure you, um, yeah, find some space and do mm. that. Cause it's such a, it's just a really nice experience. Like now that's the second time I've done it. The first time I obviously did it with you, yeah. um, with you doing it, which mm. I think is just an incredible experience, which I highly encourage people to check out. But mm. that's the next last or the last little segment I want to mm. chat to you about, obviously without mentioning names and without mentioning people for confidentiality mm. reasons, but, what are the sort of, um, yeah, responses you've seen from different people who have gone mm. through really tough things that have, yeah, come out the other side and, yeah, changed yeah. their life completely from the work that you do, obviously. Yeah. Change stories to make it. So it's very yeah, anonymous. Yeah, yeah. Sure oh, you've confidentiality is such a big thing in, in, in what I do. And, you know, I have, I've worked with. <laughs> I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell a funny story about confidentiality. <laughs> Which actually maybe I shouldn't say. This, but I think it's funny. <laughs> it's my sister to, told up me. to you. I I did a session with Elle and I was like, oh my god, my sister Chloe would love this. You like, I have to line you up. And you kept a straight face and I'm like, oh yeah. And then I had break a coffee with my sister this morning. She's been overseas, and I was like, oh, I'm having this epic chick Elle on my podcast. You got to like catch up with her. She does this hating thing. She's like, I'm certain I've done <laughs> a session with her. I was like, no, nah, she would have mentioned it to me for sure. And she's like, no, nah, I'm sure I have. And she like looked up on Instagram and she's like, yeah, look. And I was like, oh. And then you're like, oh, I just didn't want to say anything in case she didn't want you to know. Her. But yeah. Um, so, you know, it's so pretty, yeah, it's pretty big. Yes, I worked with Chloe. Um, um, yeah. And this is the thing I, I do. I work with a lot of, you know, different people from, you know, high profile celebrities to, you know, executives to everyday mums. Like, teenagers are actually my favorite I love them I love how open they are how curious they are and yeah they're my favorite but for people there's really nothing that we can't haven I've had you know the 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 standard the phobias the the belief systems the anxiety and depression but also people that have gone through you know the the depths of of things that it's showing up in ways that they they can't explain like last week I had a a client of mine who had done four rounds of IVF had been deemed infertile give birth to a beautiful healthy baby boy and like I can't credit my clients you know results like it's a two-way street you can't just come and have one session of havening and your problems be solved it's like you know maintaining your hair if you're if you diet like the blondes out there will know, like you've got to go back every six weeks, mm. right? We go to the dentist every six months for a proper clean, but we brush our teeth twice a day. And so it's it's one of those things of going, okay, well, it, it takes work. So that's why I don't really credit my, my client's work. But in saying that, I had a client with endometriosis. Um, it cleared up in six weeks. Uh, ovarian cysts completely disappear from another client. You know, these are all women, but men I've worked with, you know, their inability to hold up a relationship, um, to, you know, go in public speak. I had one client that couldn't speak in front of a boardroom of, of 10 people that was then tasked to speak in front of 2,000 people. And she was like, I'm going to lose my job. Like, I can't do it. And within two weeks she was able to do it. Like wow. these these things that we go, okay, well, 
you know, how's that showing up in mm. our life in other places? So, like, there's the big healing, but it's also just the everyday stuff, like people that can't go to a shopping centre because their anxiety is is so big, which has come out of a global pandemic that's if, – if we haven't been affected over the last two years, like if you think you've not been affected over the last two years, like you really need to hold a mirror up to yourself. Yeah, like yeah. The, the, the pandemic is, has affected all of us in, in different ways. And I think it's so important people who think they have something that is uncurable or that it's yeah. just them. So often the it's just me kind of response is just a lack of awareness that, hey, you're like that because of a past trauma, because yeah. of something that you might not even be aware of. Like you yeah. growing up, you weren't even aware of it yeah. until an event happened or you see somebody like yourself yeah. who can give you this alternate solution yeah. because as you saw from when you go and speak to someone saying you have depression mm. – the response can be quite different. That's mm-hmm. why I think a technique like yours, which is not invasive at all, it's literally yeah. just somebody to talk to, like a psychologist, mm-hmm. but with the comforting of the havening technique. Um, yeah. yeah I you had actually epic. summed it up when you left and I went, the, the woman that introduced me to havening, I mentioned her before, Karen, she is actually still like my mentor. She's like a best friend. She wears many hats in my life. But I was speaking to her and I was like, hey, so I've got the best definition for havening. And you said it was, it's like a meditation, a massage and a psychology meeting all in one. Yeah. And it, it like I've reflected on it because I'm like, that really is <laughs> like you, you summed up what I do because it, it really is. Yeah. yeah. It's like that touch point of a massage. So you kind of yeah. like everyone loves to get massaged. Yeah, right. But then it's also like your eyes are closed and you kind of, it's almost like you're talking to your subconscious, like not to take away the yeah, fact that no. you're standing there. Yeah. It's kind of like with your eyes yeah. closed, uh, someone asking you questions. It, for me, it just feels like I'm basically talk, talking, like I have inner dialogue like crazy all the time. Yeah. It almost felt like I was doing that, but had someone to bounce back the ideas. Yeah. And then on top yeah. of it, there's the breathing and the like counting, which mm kind of just blanked everything for me which yeah is I guess the releasing and Mm. the letting go of that experience Mm. realizing hey just by saying a few things rubbing my arms I don't have to let that the um, trauma sort of memory that we bring up Mm. control me anymore yeah well we're letting go of the the stress right we're letting go of the the things that aren't serving it's all my sessions are client-led Mm. So, you know, there's there's no intention for me. Like, yes, I want to get my clients the best result in as little or short time as possible, but it really is that like one to three sessions per, you know, an issue, a presenting issue yeah. that, that somebody might be having. But we also don't know where those issues are, are coming from. You know, like I've had like sessions with people where, you know, they've got this presenting issue and you would never connect the dots, mm. but somehow the dots get connected and it all just makes sense for them. For me, I go, okay, cool. Like, you know, I love that for you. Mm. Like, but for everybody, the the brain's job is to protect us. Like the amygdala, our Amy, its job is to protect us. It loves us so much. Like, and I think that we have this thing with our mind that we think, you know, oh, it's, it's so protective or it's, it, it doesn't love me because it's getting me into trouble. It's doing these things. That was my perception anyway. I think, fuck, I'm such a fuck up. Like, why can't I get anything right? But it was my mind protecting me from the fear of failure. Mm. It was protecting me from putting myself out there and maybe being rejected, from stopping me from what was possible. And it was stopping me from my dreams and it still stops me. I'm human. Like, mm. but for it, it's going, okay, well, I do have control of that. And the fastest way to communicate with it is like you experience that havening, that touch, that that peacefulness, that delta wave state of going, I am one. Mm. I am one. I'm one with myself. I'm one with everything around me. Like let's, this, like, you know, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Yeah, it just yeah. makes sense. Like, it, like <laughs> but having... until you do it, like, honestly, like, you know, go back through the process that we recorded here. But if you can put on a song or just some, like, background music or meditation music and just self-haven in silence for seven minutes, yeah. you'll change your life. Yeah, just rub your arms. Just train. rub your arms. Well, yeah, rub yeah. your arms. Touch yourself, people. It's always the things that seem so simple that, like, it's like, thinking grateful thoughts is changing our brain chemistry but it's like these techniques and and we're not going to go into this pharmaceutical chat but anything that doesn't require a product yeah 
I that you just don't see mass market yeah. promoted, so it's like well, and that's why have... the doctors and the creators of Havening have had to be super careful mm. because it works. Yeah. Like for myself, like one of the hardest struggles in my business is a getting clients because it's so holistic and unheard of, but two is keeping them. Because my clients actually work on their problems. Yeah, they get, but <laughs> like, and, they, and you give them a takeaway wait, solution. Yeah, you're getting results. Which I think any practitioner's goal yeah. should be for their clients to not have to come and <laughs> see them anymore. So that's what real, I don't know, people yeah. who care about improving people's lives. But yeah, um, I'm going to leave all your information in the show notes because yeah. I'm sure anybody on the Gold Coast who either have some trauma or mm. just wants to improve their performance mm. and unlock a bit more about themselves, I highly encourage you to come um, check out Elle's stuff. Yeah. I will leave your website and um, everything in the show notes, yeah. your social media. Um, I guess the last question I ask everybody, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've listened to any of my podcasts, mm-hmm. so you might know what's coming, is what does being a good human mean to Elle McBride? I think being a good human for myself is not getting in the well with people. I think being a good human, there's a display of of empathy. But when we get in the well with somebody with empathy and we try and like feel what it is that they're feeling, there's then two people feeling it. And I think being a good human is having compassion. And when you see somebody being in a well, handing them a rope and saying like, I know how you can get out of that. I yeah. like that. Very unique response. Oh. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I think that's beautiful. I yeah. think I didn't think much about it. I was like, obviously, I've, I've heard, yeah. So. No, I think it's a, a great one. And that's yeah. what I am so passionate about on this podcast mm-hmm. is just inspiring people and empowering people, I think mm-hmm. is the word, to be like, hey, I need to be the one who makes some decisions. Like yeah. you kind of touched on at the beginning, there's kids who grow up in the same household that end up in two very different directions and it comes back to our mindset, our self-awareness and our ability to ask for help and actually once we get help, use it. So many people are like unhelpable, not unhelpable, but just aren't in a position to say yes to help and the more that we can learn how to receive help but also give help, I think the world would be a better place. Yeah, completely agree. Um, Last thing, where can anyone find you just sort of verbally? So people, yeah. I will put it in the show notes, but yeah, yeah, what's the best sure. place to get in contact? Because I'm sure there'll be, I'm sure if not, I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm, saying, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure there'll definitely be some people who want to come and use yeah. your services. And like I said, I highly recommend it. So yeah, where yeah. can they find you? Um, Really through Instagram, my website. I work with people all over the world. So Zoom is, you know, such a phenomenal thing that's come out of COVID. I know it was here long before, but mm. it, it really did change it. You know, the, the self-healing process is possible. And Amazing. so, yeah, alwaysmcbride.com, Instagram, uh, the havening.podia is my portal for all things havening. Okay. Yeah. So there's cool. videos and recordings. Yeah. And I'll leave a few links e-books. of that to the show notes so you can have a bit mm-hmm. of a look. And um, yeah. hopefully if you've listened to this podcast, go over to my Instagram at Cooper Chapman. I'll have some videos of me yeah. um, and Elder doing the havening that we just did. So you can get a bit of a visual idea, yeah. but thanks so much for jumping on. It's been yeah. an awesome chat. Thanks it for has. sharing your story, getting, um, yeah, real deep and personal with your journey. I really appreciate you sharing that and Mm. I'm sure all the listeners did too. So thanks for jumping on Good Humans. Oh, thanks for having me. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.